0: Hi guys, this is Abhishek Sherpen. I'm the founder and managing director of private of a private firm called Capdim Capital Partners. Uh, we are a consumer and services-oriented fund, invest in uh, sustainable businesses uh, which are either trying to create a consumer brand or trying to create an organized service.
1: about a venture capitalist is that he is looking for companies that will give him a 10x return. In fact, a common mantra in the VC world is "go big or go home." There is rarely space for stable, profitable businesses growing at 30-35% in the typical VC world. Which is why this episode is a mythbuster and a must-listen for founders who are seeking to build sustainable, long-term businesses. Like many people of my generation, Abhishek Sharma watched the hit Julia Roberts movie Pretty Woman and he ended up being more curious about the role of her co-star Richard Gere, who is a private equity guy in the movie. This inspired Abhishek to become a VC, and the rest is history. In this freewheeling conversation with Akshay Dad, Abhishek talks about his contrarian approach towards investing and his investment thesis that is built on the Indian consumption story. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming platform to learn about the large opportunities that some of the most innovative startups in India are chasing.
0: I started in 2005 in a fund called Sun Capital Partners. Then I went to a fund with India Equity Partners. And then finally, at the end of 2013, I quit. And along with two other partners, I set up Carpegium. Uh, we've been operational since 2015. And uh, that's what I'm going to do currently.
2: Okay. So, uh, t- tell me about uh, the uh, yeah, you know, the, the kind of skill sets which you need to develop in private equity, like, you know, you, you spent your whole career there. When you joined, you obviously uh, must have been asked you less as any fresher would be. So what were the kind of skill sets that you developed, which you feel people should develop to build a career in this space?
0: I think private equity requires a certain amount of maturity. So I think while uh, some maturity happens with, with evolution, uh, you know, as, as as we all involved. But even within the peer set, I think some people are more mature than others. I think priority equity is certainly something that requires that because it's a business, it's, it, it's in some ways a strange kind of business because you are dealing with a lot of other people. You're managing other people's money which you're betting on certain other people. Uh, so your karma is not really in your hands. It's in the hands of many other people who decide to do what they want to do and at the best of times uh, things are not in your control you know so you you have to build businesses vicariously. Um, you have to have a physician strong sense of physician responsibility towards other people's money because that's what they are looking at um, so it, it it is a it is a balancing act between uh, between um, uh, uh, a very sophisticated set of individuals or institutions who are large enough to be able to write big checks and putting in you know, other individuals who you think have the future potential of becoming big. Uh, and therefore, you have to be able to manage the two, you know, which in terms of skills requires, uh, requires a lot of patience because you're dealing with others. It requires you to be able to look beyond what is obvious and see the potential of what things can be. Which which may not be uh, very uh, you know very easy to see now, but you know some of it is some of it is objective, some of it is subjective, and you put that into a decision making framework, and then realize that whatever decision you made, there is only a probability of success, um, and you will go wrong, and that's part of the business. But uh, the only way to live life is passionately, so you keep on doing it, and if you are right. More and more times, and you're wrong, then you've done your job well. So I think, yeah. So so I think I think it's it's the ability to do all your work and yet realize that there is only a certain chance that uh, while you may have done everything that you could have, there's only a poverty yeah. attached to the fact that it will work out in the way that you want it to work out. Hmm.
2: So, uh, in a way, uh, you're saying that you need to be passionate and yet detached because uh, you can't get attached to every investment because you know that, let's say, only two out of 10 investments will give you like uh, 3x, 4x, 10x kind of returns and two of them you might have to write off uh, and so on. So, like like being detached uh, is important to be an investor.
0: I think being objective is very important to being an investor. Uh, You're right. There's some sort of detachment. I think mean, somebody told me, uh, which is quite parochial, but I think, uh, I mean, you'll get the gist. Somebody told me that, you know, your investments is like your daughter. You know, so you have, to, you have to, while she's with you, uh, she the world to you, but you know that one day you have to let her go. And I think, you know, it's probably not the best statement for general equality is concerned, but I think it conveys the emotion very well. Of, of the way you have to look at your
2: investments. Uh, what about uh, having a big picture perspective? Uh, I think the main difference between founders, especially first-time founders who seek funding, is that they are very attached to their idea, whereas the investor looks at the big picture and says, okay, uh, it's an interesting innovative idea, whatever, but will it really scale up uh, for that? An investor needs to look at the bigger picture, the uh, you know, the, the total addressable market and the trends and so on. So, you know, I think uh,
0: my perspective is slightly different. I think it's all about execution. Or It's a lot about execution. Uh, I think the idea, the TAM, uh, to a certain extent is less pertinent because in India there are many interesting forests. You know. uh, it, it, it also depends on the kind of things that we invest in. So we are what you call an early stage private equity fund. You know, so we look at which between, are between 30 and 200 crores in revenues. So by the time, uh, you are no longer backing just an idea. You're backing an idea, but there's also a certain amount of product market fitment and you have a certain amount of execution. And I think uh, to me, uh, you know, in order to make money, in order to get to a certain scale, uh, because, you know, our success is not dependent upon the fact that every company has to become a unicorn or has to become an Apple or Google or so on and so forth. Uh, if you're looking for a 4x, 5x, you know, you just need to have a 10x potential, which is that you need to capture the 3 4x and the other guy is coming after you. He should be able to see the 3 4x. And that at the scale at which we enter into companies is, is possible in a large number of sectors, with a large number of companies and a lot of founders. But I think what people don't realize, and what the founder community probably doesn't realize, is that in order to visualize something where nothing else exists, you need a founder. Because you need an unreasonable man who needs to be attached to an idea, who needs to make it work, despite uh, you know all the naysayers and everything going wrong. But to take something from zero to hundred is very different from taking something from a hundred to thousand. And That requires the whole process of institution building to kick in, uh, team processes, uh, the ability to let go, the ability to say that you know I would intervene only in certain ways through certain people. Uh, at certain points, and I would not like to be at the forefront of each and everything, uh, so to say. So that that realization is very important. Uh, that commitment to institution building is very important, and that uh,
2: that focus and execution is very important. So uh, there are some funds which have this philosophy of uh, go big or go home. Uh, so, so, you are saying that that is not your philosophy. You are not looking at one or two of every 10 to be outsized returns and the others that you don't care much about. That, That's not really how you operate. Yeah, we are looking for Michael Beavins. We are not looking for the <laughs> and no, I'm not much of a cricket follower. I know sevag of course, but I, I don't know the other name that you mentioned. But I'm assuming that's someone who's a consistent player. Exactly. So, we are looking for
0: people who... Uh, you know, we we don't like losing money. You know, uh, that doesn't mean that we won't lose money, but we don't like losing money. So you're right. Out of ten, maybe one or two don't work out. But to us, at least making it two x, three x in every investment is important because we are not coming at that stage where we are not a classical angel or a VC fund in the sense where we are coming in at the at a very inception, and we are also not seeking twenty percent month to month growth. We are seeking year-on-year growth, you know, because our view is that uh, there are very few businesses which can grow at that rate without the yields coming off. And, uh, you know, that kind of disproportionate growth uh, is only possible in certain situations. Let's say a tech platform is suddenly takes off and so on and so forth. But most businesses, um, you know, in order to do well, in order to thrive, uh, don't have that very high benchmark. I mean, if you, look at, if you look at a country like India and um, if you came to India in 2010 and you saw a company called Jubilant Foodworks, it would be a $125 million company. At the end of the decade, uh, by 2020, it was a $7 million company. If, I mean, if you came to India in 2010, uh, you may not have heard of a company called Page Industries, which sells jo- in our way by 2020, it was a $5 million company. Uh, a double or a pedophile treats almost at SaaS company kind of valuations, and these are companies which don't do uh, something which is uh, very disruptive. You know, so the great Indian opportunity because we are largely India-focused fund. The great opportunity in India is that we are looking at probably the biggest accretion to the working population of the country that any country has seen across the world, you know across the earth at any point of time. This demographic. Is what is what we are playing most of the time. You know, we are not playing um, necessarily a tech disruption, and therefore, the vantage point at which we look at businesses is that you know if you can build a, a consumer brand that appeals to people, or if you can build an organized service that appeals to people, which can target uh, the large middle class uh, apart from uh, you know the bottom of the pyramid, because at the very bottom of the pyramid you don't know, have purchasing power. But if you go a little bit above, you know i would say the bottom centre of the pyramid. uh if, if if the product or service which is relevant for that segment you can really build very skilled up businesses and these are businesses which can grow for the next 20 30 40 years you know. and, and at that point in that category uh you know you can you can play i would say a little safe you don't have to play everything like a t20 over you know i mean you can a 50 over view you don't dispatch, but you play it. I would say, 50, 50 over one day,
2: kind of. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So essentially, you're uh, placing a bet on uh, the per capita income rising, more people coming out of poverty to middle-income, middle class, uh, and that middle class uh, driving more consumption, consumption of services and products. And so that is what you're uh, placing your bet on.
0: So we are in the confluence of two data points. One is uh, what you said. Uh, which is uh, greater consumption? Uh, you know, we are we keep talking about it. That we are going $2,000 per capita GDP, to $5,000 per capita GDP. Now, whether it happens in five years or eight or nine, that's that's less right on my you. But directionally, that that's where we are going. Important part is a lot of this incremental purchasing uh, power, and therefore a lot of these incremental spends are going to come into consumer discretionary segments. Uh, so the ramen version has been taken care of. You know, this is not going to go into dal chawal and you know roti for promenades. But you know, it is going to go into categories which have so far uh, not been focused on necessarily, because your know, core spends were always for core things, and the incremental spend now therefore has a huge hysteric curve. I mean, I talked about uh, pizza as a category. And who would have thought that in, in, in India you would have such a pizza company that we. Talked about jockey aware. I mean, if you look at Maruti cars, I mean, Maruti's, Maruti Suzuki is more valuable than Suzuki. And we think there are many categories, for example, we think women's shoes as a category, we think pet services as a category, we think funeral services as a category, these are all categories we think are going to explode. Uh, the other data point, which yeah. is important is that, one is the per capita element of it, the other is uh, the number of households of a country is actually greater barometer of consumption. Rural population. So, uh, so uh, you know what's happening in India is what I call a nuclear family revolution. So India is moving from a joint family ecosystem to a, a nuclear family ecosystem. And when one ha- one household has become two households, you know, if you're if your two brothers living under the same roof is the two brothers were are living separately, spending goes up by a factor of one point six to one point eight. X, because you need two of everything. And that is a greater barometer of how consumption is going to move, rather than the fact that we are population about four billion. It is going about very percent per annum, and that is what people base out on. So, because we are going to see more number of households, and because we are going to see more per capita uh, income, I think we are seeing we are going to see both volume as well as propensity to spend uh, increase. Uh, so, so we are the confidence of those two parts. And therefore, there are certain sectors which will grow much more than other. others. So, you know, maybe a guy who's making rice will make more rice, but his growth from a base level is going to be lesser than somebody who is a pet services player and the
2: basic that he's going to see and the accretion. That mm. Got it. Interesting. So uh, 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 tell me about the journey of starting up on your own. Uh, you know, what made you want to leave India equity partners and start on your own so I think you know I mean that's the natural
0: uh, evolution that everybody seeks I think the more interesting part is how did I think about private equity you know and, and but that story a little bit uh, and and what happened was that uh, uh, I was a student night in Delhi um, and I had I had gone to ideal um, and actually I had gone to Delhi after being in smallish towns like, uh, you know, Cloud and so on and so forth. And, you know, we were not initiated to many English movies. And when I went to IT, computers happened. And so in my first year, I went to Nehru place in Delhi and, and got assembled a computer PC for myself. And we used to, uh, you know, get all kinds of movies in all kinds of ways, you know. But, uh, we, uh, we watched a huge number of movies, you know. And, and, and all the movies I watched was a movie called Pretty Woman. Uh, Richard Gere used to play, uh, play, play a role there, and, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you liked what Richard Gere did for many reasons, uh, including Julia Roberts, but uh, but what caught my attention was that, what does this guy really do, you know, and I was in the first year in college, and you live in hostel. you were your seniors, you know, because they did, you didn't know all, um, and I knew and you look up to them, and I went to many seniors, and, you know, most of them were not able to articulate till you know, like, I, bumped into somebody who could, and he said there's something called private equity. And you know, and that resonated, right? That resonated that, you know, here's a guy, he comes, he, you know, takes companies, buys them, takes them apart, does these kinds of things. In the process of a lot stuff. And, and, so, and so, therefore, I am probably one of those people who have done nothing else in their lives uh, but private equity. In, in that sense, I'm quite unique. Uh, you know, I haven't come across people who have done that. Uh, which could also be uh, a weakness, but uh, that you know nothing better. So that attracted me to private equity, you know, and there was always a desire that I had not to join large platforms, but to part of platforms where you could join at the very inception, very beginning, and, uh, you know, sort of, uh, sort of, you know, make it your own or, or, or you know, go to the absolute top. Rather than, you know, looking at a US-based private fund where the bosses sit in Boston or New York and you're in India, and you're spending a lot of time telling out the India story and why India makes sense. So, you know, I think that you spend a lot of time doing stuff that, uh, you know, it just understood and should not be core of any investment thesis. Uh, and that is why I chose the kind of
2: private fund that I chose to be part of. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at a certain point of time... That's I was- probably why after IIT, you went straight to an IIM, like because you had no intention to really take up an engineering job. I was not good at it.
0: You know? I mean, I would have been very lousy at an engineering job. Um, I I, I went to IIT. I didn't go to engineering. You know? Engineering never fascinated me. That was the reality. And the good part about IIT is that more than what they teach you at IIT, I think you get to test your mental against uh, some very, very smart people. And that holds you instead, you know, know what you do in life. You're always very confident. Um, and uh, that is what I took out of IIT. And it was very clear to me. Even in IIT, I went to Procter Gamble for internship, which was a great, great institute. You know, it taught me a lot. I spent 64 days in a plant uh, mm-hmm. which made aerial and tide. Uh, and uh, I tried to make the making machine and the packing machine talk to each other. You know. um, and um, while it was an engineering problem, The solution for it was basically, you know, take a bunch of people along, somebody who comes with technical experience, somebody who can do the problem definition well. Uh, So it was ultimately a managerial solution. And uh, I I felt that I had a lot of uh, logical sense. And uh, that itself is a a rare commodity in in, in life as we you figure out. And uh, therefore, to me, Going to a management, uh, going to a B-school was a very natural process of evolution. I could either have gone to a consulting firm like in the BCG, or I could have gone to a B-school. Uh, I couldn't do the first, uh, but I could do the second. I went there. And uh, then, as rightly said, um, you know, so that transition was, was natural for me. And then because I wanted to do private equity, uh, you know, that the first chance I could get, I decided to go there. Uh, chose firms, uh, which were not necessarily the biggest brands, but where I could be, you know, more relevant and always got a disproportionate amount of uh, responsibility and experience. That is why at the age of 33, then I decided that, uh, you know, I could, I could try and do something which was my own, uh, because the bigger issue was raising capital, you know, uh, and then it was clear that if I could raise capital, I could do the rest.
2: Did the India Equity Partners experience shape your investment thesis? Yeah. Like, like, what was the investment thesis there? What kind of companies were they investing in? There? India uh, Equity Partners was
0: um, was fairly diverse. You know, they did uh, they did investments which ranged from ten million dollars to to let's say thirty five forty million dollars. Um, I always focused on so because I wanted to be independent. Uh, you know. I wanted some responsibility. Uh, I wasn't very senior, so nobody wanted to give me a lot of responsibility. So I ended up focusing on doing sub 10 million dollar deals in the consumer and services segment. And uh, some of my investments, where I was part of the team and it uh, turned out very well, one of the investments I made was in a company called Manapuram Finance. And we wrote uh, Manapuram Finance from a company that was 400 crores in loan book to about 10,000 crores in loan book you know, saw the company in public, uh, created, uh, you know, great value, almost a 7x um, in, in, in cost and currency terms, um, over five and a 5.5 a period. So that was that was a great experience. Then I, then I was on the board of this company called QuestCorp, uh, which is now a district company. It is India's uh, second largest private sector employer, employees close to 450,000 people. Uh, and from its very infancy, uh, we went through some very tough times uh, because we invested and then Lehman went down. Nothing we did that but you know, we got we got impacted. We kept our faith, we kept supporting the company. The company turned around quite well. In twenty thirteen we sold the company to Fairfax. Uh, we, uh, we made it forty percent close to forty percent ILL. We thought we had done a good job. Then we saw Fairfax making sixteen next taking public three years later. Then, uh, then you know, and, and, and all those things are great learning. So, so you know, I was associated with a few companies that did quite well. Uh, India Equity Partners, obviously, uh, you know, made sixteen investments across the board, very diverse. Uh, but what it did is, it gave me a very good vantage point in in, in being able to see what works, what doesn't work, uh, you know, what are the elements that I really want to follow. Uh, and what we did is that we borrowed. What you ought to have kept. Um, obviously, uh, it is also constrained by the amount of capital you can raise and what you can follow, and so on and so forth. Uh, but uh, it it very much uh, was the edifice of the good elements of really equity partners was very much the edifice
2: of what we created in capital. Hmm. Okay, so uh, what did you learn about what doesn't work? So I think uh, I think what doesn't work is
0: um, is uh, cyclical.s uh, from a sector perspective, you know. what does that mean? Like, during the industry like you know, invest was not a corporate company; invest in infrastructure companies, We invest in cement companies. It's very difficult for uh, for from private equity point of view to be able to time cycles. You know, why are these businesses cyclical? Because uh, because the their, their their output prices are linked to commodity prices. You know, the output or input prices are linked to commodity cycles. Uh, if steel goes up, it goes up, and if steel goes down, it goes down, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Uh, the whole element of, if you go back to the resolve of private equity, private equity is supposed to be able to generate alpha for you, uh, which is an element of return which is non linked to the market. And the core of it is access to operations of the business. So if you look at the classical private equity funds which have become large, they have now become more asset gatherers rather than private equity funds, uh, you know, they started by buyout companies, right? You know, so if, when a Blackstone buys a Hilton hotels or somebody buys a Bonet elevator, uh, they take these companies, they install management, they're able to fundamentally make changes that can uh, that that is supposed to increase the operational efficiency of the business. Um, so in private equity, when you're if you with that mindset, you don't want to buy a Six percent ownership and whole series be preferred stock in a company. You want to own businesses, right? And therefore, we said the cyclicals don't work, uh, small minority stakes don't work, uh reliance on entrepreneurs or promoters as we call them in India doesn't work. Because in India, you don't have a board mechanism also time. You are you're backing um, these unique individuals. Called promoters, which are a combination of founder, shareholder, management rolled into one. You know, so the challenge in India is to manage the promoters. The opportunity in India is to part with the supreme individuals well called promoters, and therefore, uh, you know, you want to be very careful about the kind of people. That you want to bring back. So, so to so to me, uh, it was important that uh, in India you can't be passive. Uh, you can't say that. Oh, there's a great guy. His name is Steve Jobs, and I'll give him some money, and he'll make me billion dollars. out. it doesn't work, you know. Yeah. India the, is in the yes. in the in the also a tough country to do business. There is the environment which is tough. Uh, you know, making profits in companies is very tough. Uh, yeah. There are there's so much taxation, direct and indirect that you have to deal with. You're dealing with so many regulatory and compl- you know, compliance hurdles. So we said there are some elements that we want to take take here. We want to back first generation entrepreneurs. We don't want to back partner families we want
2: to take... But why community. not? Why not partner with families? Because, because you know, uh, what's happened is that uh, if you look at wealth creation, it is moved
0: from being generational to a single decade. Uh, the logic of partnering with families was that, you know, there are certain business families who know how to build businesses. So, uh, Dhirubhai Ammani starts a business, Mukesh Ammani takes it to a certain level, and maybe the next generation takes two That's level. And, uh, you know, uh, that's no longer true. You know, Elon Musk um, is the richest guy in the world and he's not a family in business, neither Jeff Bezos. In India, I went mean, to IIT. If you look at a lot of, uh, lot of people, my time, my juniors, my seniors, you know, people who have done well, such an ability person Flipkart, they've been at Zomato, I've been at Sujit Kumar at Flipkart, all you know, well, you know, in one generation, a lot of wealth has been created. You don't... So the, so, so the whole idea about partnering with families was that they know how to build businesses. And businesses get created over generations. That is no longer true. Uh, one good entrepreneur in a period of as small as five, six years can create a huge one with. So you want to back individuals uh, and they could be professional, professional entrepreneurs. So we, we love professional entrepreneurs. People who know the business, uh, they don't have the capital, uh, but uh, you know, they understand governance. They understand, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, how to treat security capital. And you back them and you work with them in the make or break-innings, you know, when 97% of the worth is inside the company. And, uh, and, and and what we do is we take meaningful stakes, 26% plus stakes in these companies. Spend a lot of time in these companies. We like to spend about 3, 4 days a month with these companies. You know, so if somebody likes, somebody feels that we are interfering or whatever, then, then we are not for them. Uh, with the whole idea being that you know, while we back these guys, we are co-building businesses. So we are not passive. Uh, we are business partners. In three or eight portfolio companies, fund one, we are the single largest shareholders ahead of the promoter.
2: But yeah
0: we are we are always the second voice in the company. The most dominant voice in the company is always the entrepreneur, right? And we said that we we want to uh, we want to not only get uh, investor money, but we also want to get customer money. We like to say that 20% of the sales of the companies come because uh, of us. We upon the financial controller, we have one of the editor, we upon the sanctuary order. So ours is a very hands-on, uh, let's build businesses together kind of style. People uh, appreciate it, people like us. Uh, and therefore, uh, we choose very really carefully. Uh, and, and that also happens because we don't ever do a lot of investments. We do like two investments a year. We do about seven investments from a fund. Uh, none of our companies have a single rupee of government revenues um and uh, we think we think uh, you know again if you look at how many businesses have been built uh, by providing services to the government it may be a very small uh, number which just right so so we therefore have learned our lessons uh, we think that uh, you know from our past life uh, uh my 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 partners uh, one was the founder of Quest, the other was CEO of Domino's and, and, and a bunch of other companies. So uh, so because of that, you know, I think we have a sense of how consumer service business can scale up. That's the peak that we understand. Uh, we have a style that
2: works for India. And therefore, that is what you are focused on. Okay, okay, got it. So, uh, uh, you know, sir, some of these things which you are talking about are not considered very fashionable today, you know, like, uh, I, th- I think what, what's more in fashion in the last two years is uh, like hands-off writing checks quickly, uh, kind of a approach. Uh, does this uh, like uh, hamper your ability to find the best investment opportunities? The periods of time it does, right. hmm. and, um, because ultimately, if you look at the
0: pool of entrepreneurs. uh, some of them do gravity to ideas where you can get high velocity, high valuation capital. Right. So if there is a guy who is deciding to do entrepreneurship and he has a choice between building a sustainable business, versus the choice of building a business where you can talk about multiple rounds of capital and each round value uh, in you hire, they choose mean- the other path. And that can happen, but that's why you know, I think it's important to have a value and belief system that is very core to you. Because it is, it is very difficult to hold on to it, particularly when you get tested. So if it is not very really deep and not very really intertwined with the core of who you are as an investor and what you invest in the philosophy, it is going to get tested. There's absolutely no doubt on that. But my point is that, you know, you can make money by doing whatever you do, you know, uh, profitability as the new mantra. But, you know, these are not, these are not uh, blinding insights. I mean, you know, if you grew up over a period of time, you know that at some point of time, sooner rather later, business has to generate cash. One can have a view on what that leeway is. And I can understand that in a world, let's say if you're big interest rates and you say that there was a world where we were looking at a zero interest rate environment, where capital today versus capital 10 years down the line had no difference because the discounting rate was zero. Uh, you could have taken a much stronger view and today. When when the discounting rates are going up, because inflation going up and interest rates are going up, uh, you know you suddenly feel that cash today is more important than cash tomorrow. But you know the fact that cash is king, the fact that profitability is good, is not is not new. It's just that you know suddenly people believe at some point that this time is different, and this time you know it's a new world. And you know to me is the pendulum effect. You can deviate from the me. Uh, but the meat remains the meat. You know. So there is a period of time for which you can focus on certain other things because the world is in a phase, COVID happening, uh, you know, uh, philosophy is changed. Uh, but in the long run, when, when you even are all those things, there are certain truisms uh, I think which which hold. And therefore, what we practice is is nothing nothing which is binding inside, to be honest. This is what I see mean. many people at various points in time uh, in just about being able to execute on it
2: so uh, you said last year uh, companies were overvalued Um, what is uh, I mean you know what is the way in which you value uh, a company Um, I mean you know because you are in a way taking a bet here so so how do you really value a company what how do you decide this is the fair value for a company Are, are there some rule of thumbs like, say, 3x of revenue is a fair value for this kind of business or, or you know, stuff like that, like. So what we do is we look at the EBITDA multiples. So
0: EBITDA is earnings before before interest tax depreciation, and amortization. It is, uh, it is a, uh, I would say, proxy for operating income for business. I uh, think it should be EBITDA, but laying uh, those technicalities aside. So business operationally, what is the kind of way the business can be? Now the state at which we come in is when a business is sustainable. So we like to bring, come into of break even on positive business. However, we understand that there's not a level at which they are showcasing their end state EBITDA. Right. So let me give you an example. Let's say when I invest in a, in a FMCG kind of company. Let's say the company is making ketchups and sauces. Now, there's no point in me looking at a Heinz Kind of multiple because the Heinz is a very mature company and, and it makes let's say loss of a bit and they, then it gets valued and price to an issue remit immediate bidder. But I also don't want to look at a situation where I go and say, oh, it should be three times sales or four times or five times sales. So what I will do is I'll say that let's say here is a company. It has got 50 of revenues. Uh, it is profitable, it is making, let's say two, three course of bit Obviously, it's not making your steady steady bidder. Now I would say that let's say this company, when it gets scaled up, Will make a 15% EBITDA margin. Right. I let me give the full benefit of that at the scalest opportunity. So I will say that let, let's assume that at 50 crores it makes 15% EBITDA margins. And what multiple would that give me? Unless this company goes at 15 times EBITDA. So it will mean that I should give the company a 2.25 2, 2, times enterprise value to sales margin. Now the company is not making fifty percent beta margins, and then I would say that that's what I will give it on a on a on a full basis. I would ideally want the little bit of and that's a subject of negotiation. But but while I'm effectively giving a the sales multiple, which is let's say two point two five dead sales, the question is why am I not giving the four times sales multiple? Right? To me, uh, uh, because we all have to look at valuation methodologies that work for us. I mean, for a VC, who's the new company with is low beta, doesn't mean the value is zero. So they come with Let's say multiples and fraction multiples and so and so forth. I look at a bit of multiples, and uh, I would like to give other people the benefit of that. Uh, but at the same time, that to me is the is the absolute maximum at which which I would be looking to price. Uh, now, if a company, for, for example, is a personal care company, which is a 70% cross-margin business, and can deliver a 30% EBITDA margins at the state, I would deal with it very differently uh, you know, in terms of the EV to sales multiple, but that EV to sales multiple has been, has been arrived at by giving an included EV beta multiple, Because to me, ultimately, this company has to be profitable. Hmm. Hmm.
2: Hmm. Okay, uh, 15 times EBITDA multiple that you shared as an example, it, it varies from uh, sector to sector or, or what is the range uh, like the multiple on EBITDA for which uh, like the kind of valuations that companies get? It varies. So, for
0: example, you know, if you're looking at a restaurant sector, you look at what are the restaurant comps, uh, right? I mean, when we did dates, you know, company like Piriyani Blues, uh, you know, we looked at the comp set that was there for listed companies in the food and services space, uh, you know. Uh, and, uh, and then you, if you're doing a ketchup company like Atena Thakur, then you look at what would be the money for that. I mean, you looked at a mobile refurbishment company like Yanza, which is a business that is sold to Walmart. Uh, you know, we looked at what kind of multiple services of that nature get. So, obviously, the concept for different businesses is different. Uh, and that becomes the most pertinent way of having I mean, because, while theoretically, you know, uh, the value that the company has is a discounted value for the cash flow it will generate, but it's very difficult to project future cash values. It's very difficult very difficult to, to sort of, you know, it's very sensitive to assumptions that you take. So, often CF, etc., is a work of art. Uh, so concept and the concept done across cycles, not only at this point in time, but a concept done across cycles which gives you ranges that this particular industry is really that. Then, uh, sort of uh, adjusting it for you know your company, the kind of margins that it is likely to be able to exude, and then providing a multiple on
2: that, that is what has worked best for us. Yeah, by comp set you mean a comparable companies set, like That's set of companies. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. So uh, coming back to uh, your own uh, entrepreneurial journey, like, like in a way, starting a fund is also like you know starting up as a founder yourself. Uh, right. So okay. you told me that you felt that the, the big challenge for you at that time was uh, raising capital. Uh, how did you solve that? You no, know, it's it's something which uh, which
0: uh, is tough. At the best of times, in capital, because you know India is a starved capital market. Right. Uh, in the US, 90% of the private capital comes from US. Uh, in China, until some time back, I don't mean, know yeah. the situation. 50% of capital was the military capital. So, because your access to domestic capital is less, uh, you have to go out and raise capital. And therefore large large scale pool of cap, of capital uh, can only be raised if you're able to access global markets, and that requires a certain certain set of things. You know, for example, the global markets love people coming out of a brand. I mean, if you worked at Sequoia and yeah. suddenly you've decided to chance are been able to institutional capital is is higher. You also saw saw a speed of managers who are actually uh, based abroad but running India funds. You know, and they were able to raise large capital because because they were closer to the investor, and therefore the investor felt more comfortable in in giving them the capital rather than uh, you know rather than giving to people who are in India and who might know India better and who might be spending more time in India, but at the same time because they don't know them. So so capital raising, I think, is a work of art. Uh, You know, it's very different from. I mean, obviously. When I went to IIT, I wrote an example, GE, I went to IIT, when I went to Aram, I wrote an example, CAT, <laughs> Here, there is no example, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of intangibles. You think that, uh, you, when you're surprised that a lot of capital some people are able to raise. Uh, you're surprised at how little capital some others are able to raise, so so it's, it's difficult, but what happens is over a period of time, it was a challenge, it was exciting, but this was one thing that I needed to learn. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants to learn new things, so while I thought yeah. I knew, Investing. I mean, you never know investing, but you have, you have a paradigm for investing. Uh, you had a paradigm for, uh, you know, dealing with other news, portfolio manager, but this was completely linked at me. So it was very exciting at some level. It was very challenging. And I think what really helped is that uh, that we took the we do the approach that any startup will take, right? I mean, a startup will first go to friends and family round. Uh, I mean, there are some startups who start with seed capital for so home. You be, you know, you're yeah, you're not one of them. Uh, so yeah to friends and family when people close to us uh, wow. raised the first fund which was about two and four crores uh from India largely. I think uh, thankfully what happened is that there was an ecosystem of institutions in India, and there were a set of people in India who were willing to look at the asset class. Obviously the money was very really small, so you had to go to many different people like the exposure one share. Uh but I think the AIF regulations uh, came in 2012. Uh uh, I think some companies, some some uh, some institutions like SEBI, for example, in India, played a phenomenal role in in sort of uh, you know uh, backing ventures and creating that ecosystem, almost like a Y-combinator accelerator or something, you know, for, for, for So that ecosystem also came along. I think India started uh, doing a little bit more allocation, and then we also got better at it. You know, today we have investors from. Uh, from various different parts of the world. Uh, obviously, the mainstay of capital is still India, uh, you know, and uh, and it's been an evolution. I would not say that we still have been able to raise very large amount of capital, but that's a journey that that we we understand now. We are getting better at it, and, and if you ask me, is not necessarily the biggest challenge. it be the, the view my view is that what happens is that. Over a period of time, what you think of as challenges, because you solve for them, actually become lesser of an issue than you thought they were when you started out. But the set of things you did not see as challenges or did not count for actually become more pertinent pain points for you
2: as time passes by. So, what are they now? These unaccounted for challenges.
0: I mean, you know, you, you,
2: uh, you, when, you, when you start a
0: private fund, you think your job is raising capital, finding great investments, and, and, and you know, things mm-hmm. and so on. So. I think when you run a business, you realize that, for example, people has become a very big challenge now. Uh, there was a time when, uh, you know, just because you're offering a private equity job, you could almost get anybody interested. Uh, no longer the case. Uh, people, I mean, today, you know, youngsters today, really, you know, those who are coming to the workforce have, a, have many more opportunities. Uh, many of them think of the risk rewarded being an entrepreneur as being much better. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, so entrepreneurship is really probably the most attractive uh, segment uh, for people who are a career. Yeah. Uh, even in private equity, what has happened is that the big have become bigger. Uh, the scale at which they operate, what they're able to provide uh very different for what an entrepreneurial equity fund can so uh, therefore uh while, while you can give them equity you can give them long-term rewards uh there is uh there is a huge challenge in terms of being able to match what what, what other people are able to provide uh mm-hmm. so i, I think all people be, are becoming a huge challenge uh, now out of time you end up doing uh stuff which is a regulatory major about buying new eat stuff is admirable nature is actually a very large proportion of your time uh, particularly uh, when you are you are also running a business you know i mean you're not being uh so the whole act of running a business uh takes a disproportionate amount of your time and and you are end you know, up spending far lesser uh than what you' like on doing stuff that you really like you know, sit with you discuss strategy uh you know, sit. With, uh, you know, with with uh, a counterparty and discuss a, and then negotiate a deal. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of other stuff which you think existed, which actually takes a huge amount of time. So I think those uh, your your ability to not get tired by all that, anyways, uh, you know, uh, defines your ability to be successful. Uh, you know, and not watch um, you know some of the poor things that you thought would be challenges. At least you realize that it's know go along. You know? And it's it's very when you're an employee, you know, you have a task. Like you mm-hmm. have to produce a year. You have to manage to put portfolio your and You do a good job of it. But, but to get to that stage where, you know, you have an organization where each of them, each of us can do things that we really like to do. And the aggregate of that is enough for, like, for an organization to be able to fulfill all its objectives. And that really, to my mind, is, is the holy grail of being able to build a
2: successful institution. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Uh, you said only uh, 10% of uh, money raised by private equity in India is from domestic sources. Why is that? Because India, yeah, everybody sees so much opportunity. The largest
0: families in India. You know, India, mm-hmm. if you go to Dwaram Adani or if you go to education money, they will mm-hmm. say be the capital. I have a
2: generator.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. The, the the Rockefeller families and the Chanel families and the and the Bloomingdale families and and the families, the, they they and the Wharton families, they all created businesses and now they're dynasties. So now the generations, the next gen, the gen after that, yeah. they're capital allocators. Right. Uh, they're not so much in terms of building, they're more in terms managing. Uh so you know they have they have gone to that phase. In India. Uh, we are still, at that point of time, the people are seeing huge ability to create disproportionate amounts of capital. businesses, you know, are seeing this as a point of time where, where you can you can you know create disproportionate amount of size in those companies. The Tata's are seekers of capital, you know. Uh, Builders are seekers of capital. The money are seekers of capital. The analysts are seekers of capital. Everybody is seeker of capital. Who is the giver of capital? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. right. Professional entrepreneurs who, uh, you know, Nayan Moorthy, uh, you know, and and another Nilikarians. you know, so, so those are the kind of people who who today are you know looking at managing capital. they're looking at you know, looking at developing an ecosystem for fostering architecture and stuff. Uh, so, inherently hands-on, and rightly so, you know, they are seeing they are seeing huge amount of opportunities. I mean, one is just around some 80 billion dollar investment in hydrogen, uh, so. So I don't think that you know they're going to have spare cash to give to people. Yeah, <laughs> <for laughs> uh, So that's a challenge, right? But I think it will be very different the next generation because uh, because that zeal is not a family zeal. That that there's, there's nothing but a generational zeal, right? It, it, it is with individuals, and then mm-hmm. as generations change, uh, you know, some people decide that you know now I have. A lot more to conserve than to build. I've built enough. And at that point of time things will change. But at this at this juncture, because you know, we are looking at a career, we are looking at a period of time which is element for the next decade or two. Right. Uh, if you look at that period of time, I don't think you know you can restrict yourself just to India, you know, in terms of your aspirations in those capitalists.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, take me through uh, your uh, like like the the uh, resume of Carpentier. Let's say, like fund one was two hundred crores. What kind of investments did you do, and did did you get some credibility building with fund one that helped you to raise a bigger fund two? And and what what fund number are you at currently, like? So we are in the process of raising fund two currently. Uh, so we we raised
0: fund one. We did a final in September two thousand sixteen. Uh, one one uh, does well you know we are on a invested capital level bracket toward 90% we to world 29%, 29% what well, what does that,
2: uh, what does that mean uh, like uh, uh, because th- this valuation is uh, like subjective or is it like based on actual exits or uh, what like so so we invested was eight
0: companies so we have time to uh, let's say 2020 to, to deploy capital, which we did, and then we have time up 2025 uh, to exit our companies. Uh, so one out of the eight we have exited, we have returned back 48 of the capital of the fund on that one exit. Uh, we invested. We invested about uh, you know a little uh, about 24.7 crores in the Amzari We got back about 100, uh, and that that was in for for how the fund that that happened at close to 34 uh um, you, uh, the rest of the portfolio, we went five out of our seven companies having markups. Uh, we invited uh, Rebel Foods, which is a food helico a food service company called Biryani Blues, which was at 4.6, 4.7x of where we came in at. Uh, uh, we have seen similar products in uh, our other companies. We have a European company called One Indian Family Mart, where we the Gulf Islamic Investments. We have a design uh, build uh, yeah. uh, services company called Fit Spaces that does very well. Uh, where we had an extra at about 3x. Uh, we have seen an upload in a microfinance business, which is called Sinduja Microfinance, where we very sophisticated global microfinance investor called NMI came in after us. So we have uh, we have a portfolio of eight companies in Fund One. We have uh, we have uh, uh, divested one. We have had uploads in five, and two of the other companies where we haven't raised further capital or profitability have grown two and a half to three x uh, since we invested. Um, so, we think, we think we are a portfolio where uh, we may not see too many accidents, too many impairments. Uh, and which was in a particular difficult vintage. You know, we, we went through demonetization, we went through uh, the implementation of the GST regime, uh, we went through several years of COVID, and uh, what we're investing is not strictly tech. You know, so, so yeah. long challenges, uh, but I think, uh, I think we selected companies well. I think we've worked worked hard at them and kudos to our entrepreneurs, the way they have the way they have kept the zeal and and, and uh, kept the mojo going in, in tough times. And that's why, as I said, you know, the challenge and joy in may to partner with these unique animal control promoters. Uh so so that's been that's been that's been a reasonable journey. I would say we are we are pretty satisfied with what we've managed. To uh and uh we are we are building on our success we are in the process of raising the seven co fund uh, mm-hmm. we have kids we there uh we have also invested in a couple of companies from fund. Uh, our capital Development started our aim is to look at seven to eight investments uh like fund one we are going to these companies
2: uh so that is not is where we are mm-hmm. okay okay uh, So uh, you said Fund One uh, by twenty twenty five you need to return the money. Um, So does that mean you need to sell off your stakes in those companies by then, or like what? What does that imply? Okay, I mean not sure. Yes,
0: I mean the the the, uh, you know there are mechanisms. You get the extensions. Uh, You have to do that uh, in conjunction with your uh, investors, in conjunction with the regulator. Uh, there have been situations where people have gladly extended. I, mean, I think I think it was Bain priority me which had not staples for, for a very long time. Uh, staples in the chain of retail stores in the U.S. Because that Tamil was very good and was giving some 50-20% in media and so and so forth. In fact, there is no compulsion to say. Um, in India, because there is a regulatory model also, so there is a finite life after which, you know, even if investors want the regulatory, may not oblige. Uh, so, I think um, we have to find solutions for these companies. Uh, and there are a range of solutions in general. There are security funds, there are continuation funds. So, you move assets from one fund to another fund. Once you, I mean, you could raise funds when you say that, you know, I, I'm going to buy assets that are left out. Because typically, what will happen in a, in a primary style is that, and then we have less, and that the people who have got 100 investments in a portfolio. And to find solutions for all of them is not. It's not always possible. I mean, you can always write off investment, but that's not a good solution to find. So certain things need more time. And You know, the good part is that much like the primary market and the secondary
2: market is also evolving. So like your fund 2 could buy off uh, fund 1 companies and return the money to fund 1 investors? That that would typically not happen. Uh, If you have to do that, then you have to raise a fund specifically for that.
0: Uh, So usually locking up your fund one investments from fund 2 or giving is to so fund 1 from fund 2 is bad practice uh you know okay. there are ways to do it you have something called a lback which is partners advisory council and, and you have the both the lps into consideration mm-hmm. in a fair market done and do something mm-hmm. on a on, on on that basis but the usual um, solutions are that you either go to a secondary fund and which can buy an entire portfolio or you raise something called a continuation fund, where you say that I'm raising this fund, which is a petition fund, one fund one, it is going to buy this off fund one. This is the methodology that we are going to follow while doing that trade. Because it's which is which is laden with conflicts. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. In, in, our, in our business, you, know, you have to be, you have to be and wife, as they call it. So, <laughs> because, uh, because, you know, your money, you can do whatever you like, but giving other people's money, uh, I mean... And um, you want know, long-term reputation ultimately. So, uh, so while many things can be done, and some people may do it, uh, I mean the best way to do it, or the ideal way to do it, is create a solution. But then you raise money, specifying that this is what you are going to do, and then you have a mechanism in place which is fair for fund one, on the fund from where the assets are going,
2: and it's fair for investors of the commission Hmm. So, uh, I, I'm imagining that uh, the way your investments happened, it would be like a funnel where the top of the funnel would be you would be scouting or you would be receiving inbound applications, and then you would have some sort of filter process, and then there would be some sort of deal making negotiation happening. Uh, tell me about uh, that whole funnel. So, funnel is that, um, you no, know, we, in the first permit,
0: we had more than 2,000 opportunities that came through at and these are inbound these are inbound uh, so we largely have three ways in which we get deals. one is that we do a lot of proactive uh exercise, right because we have looked at when evaluation of countries happen what kind of categories they created. we talked about some of that earlier right so we have a view that these segments are going to do well so segments you don't mind doing proactive uh you know scout, scouting exercises where either through ourselves or by a an advisor we go out and say that let's scout for these things. So that's one. Second that you know we have a large number of LPs. Uh, you know, many of them are entrepreneurs in India. Uh, they run sophisticated businesses. They get a lot of deals which get our way. And uh, the good part is that somebody who is in the trade or somebody who is running the business or running that kind of business uh, has some fundamental interest or at least a desire to evaluate the deal, and he's sending it to us. Yeah. Uh, and third is that we have a large network of boutique investment advisors and chart accounts uh, who get us yeah. inbound deals. Yeah. Many of these things are to scum a little bit because they are not, you know, fancy presentations made by, you know, a positive bank, but instead these are things where you have to you know, go through a reports. You go through, you know, whatever Excel sheets of data that are sheet with. And sometimes you could really find nuggets if you're willing to do that to the time. So through all these three processes, let's say we give a course of Fund1, when Fund1 fails, we took more than 2,000 things. Uh, only 300 of them met our objective filters. You know, so-and-so, et cetera. Like that crore or plus... Top line, uh, first-time top line. I mean, it was slightly different fund, but I mean, hmm. fund you, you it, But yeah, uh, your revenue cut off, your sustainability cut off, your uh, your stake, cutoffs and so on. Hmm. Hmm. First generation entrepreneur and some ambitious oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And then, obviously, three hundred. Let's say we would have engaged actively where you have done a management call, uh poured through the numbers. In about sixty percent of these. These transactions, right? Mm-hmm. So, so let's say, you know, uh, mm-hmm. if, if if we got if we got three hundred, then one eighty of those resolved, and then after one meeting or one call, etc., that number would drop to, let's say, I would say fifty, uh, and we would have given those sheets out to ten companies. Um, we did diligence online. And we
2: invest in it. So, my last question to you: you know, uh, we are like living in the new normal. Is what everyone says. Uh, How do you think uh, you will change as a, you you know, in terms of your uh, investment thesis, your operating philosophy over the coming years? Do you see that changing, or do you think that these fundamentals will stay as they are? No, I don't think the fundamentals will change.
0: See, we are we are looking at. I mean, if I look at. uh, when you say new normal, I think we are talking about in the investing world. We are talking about tech, and we are investing about businesses. Which so mm-hmm. for us, tech is means to an end. You know, people, processes, tech, capital are needed to build a business. It's not that you know our businesses are are uh, bereft of tech or devoid of tech. You know, we so our businesses are the best tech stacks that you can find. Uh, biryani is, is the pioneer in chefless biryani. We just make real food tech. Uh, tech for me is not basically just, you know, that on sweet the You know, one of the industry spaces has, a, has built a SaaS product, uh, you know, for the for the ecosystem, which has got great permission But to us, people, processes, tech, um, you know, capital, are means to an end. D2C is a channel of C. We have to embrace it. But D2C is not a paradigm. It's not distillation; it's means to an end. So we have to imbibe. I mean, for example, if 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 uh, if if I could guide a company, or even partner Arvind for example, he could use, he could guide a company in terms of how you should go about building your brand, and what you could do digitally was not part of that. That means we invite you know, and you can't you can't. In a modern day of tennis, play with a wooden bracket, you know. Uh, uh, so you have to change with the type but the philosophy doesn't change. We still think that you know if you want to do tech, you can go to Silicon Valley, you can go to Israel, take his global, everybody uses Instagram. But and and people might not get it down too well. You know, from 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 our perspective, we are looking at a very compelling opportunity, which is very core to India, which is a market that we understand as Indians. I were India on mistake. You know, I went to IT, I went to I'm mm-hmm. Indian, I stayed in India. The most compelling object that India can give you today is the demography which you see, which amount the spends, the spends mm-hmm. of spends and going to happen, and the kind of brands and services which mm-hmm. are going to be created. In the process of these getting created, we'll embrace D2C as a channel. We'll embrace tech as a source of efficiency. And and, and and we want to embrace that, our companies won't embrace that. But to us, you know, we we you know, you can't embrace it at the cost of building
2: a sustainable longer business. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I wanna ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at thepodium.in. That's ad at t-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-m dot in.